Good morning, Mission View Church. That, that's all, that was fun to experience. Hello, everybody. That was so cool to watch from up here. I love all the interactions and the fellowship that we get to have in our church. Uh, so if you don't know me, uh, my name is Joe Novak. I am pastor of discipleship here at Mission View. Um, I'm super pumped to be up here and speaking to you for the first time in our new building. So it's, it's just really, really exciting. Um, oh, pastor Matt is away on vacation. Good for him. He needs to go on vacation after all this building stuff. So he'll be gone for a couple weeks, but he'll be back in the pulpit before no time. Um, so I'm excited that he gets to have some rest. I think he told me he's listening on live stream right now while he's driving down south. So uh, hi, Pastor Matt. Hi, Janelle. You know, hope you guys are having a good time. All right, so um, I oversee uh, kind of our entire discipleship pathway here at Mission View Church. So what that basically means is that if you're a person coming here looking to grow, which you all should be because you're all Christians, looking to grow in your faith, looking to be more holy, looking to learn who Jesus Christ is in your life and how he molds us, um, come talk to me. I would love to help you with that. We have tons of things going on, even things that we want to start doing now that we have our own space. If you're looking to grow, in something, you know, send me that, send me an email. Some, somehow you're looking to grow in whatever area. Let me know. I'd like to know those things so that I can know where to point us in our leadership um, and what maybe, you know, what classes we might have one day, what our community groups study one day, and all those things. So come reach out to me, call our office, set up an appointment with me. I'd love to talk to you about that. I just wanted to say that that's kind of my job here. So please come reach out. All right. I once heard, I'm, I'm taking this story from another pastor, but I heard a pastor say, and this is, this is kind of revolutionary to me because I'd never heard a pastor say this. I was like, what? But he said, Jesus is like strawberries. Jesus is like strawberries, okay? Now let me explain. He went on to say, uh, tell us a story. He said, Jesus is like strawberries and this is how. He told a story about a father and a son, and this father and son, they decide to go and walk through this strawberry patch, and as they're walking, they're picking strawberries, and this is a young son, right, toddler, three, four, maybe five. Um, he's picking strawberries and eating them, and he's never really experienced strawberries like this at an organic, like, pick-yourself strawberry farm. He's like, oh my goodness, these strawberries are delicious, right? And this, so this young little boy is like, loving these strawberries, walking through the strawberry patch with his father, right? And so he's loving these strawberries, and soon enough, he falls in love with strawberries, right? And so he goes home, and he says, Mom, your mom's like, what do you want for dinner? Well, I want strawberries, right? So she gets some strawberries, he eats strawberries for dinner. And then, sure enough, he's, he finds out that there's strawberry-flavored candy, right? So any lollipop, if he has a, ever has a choice, he's grabbing the strawberry lollipops, right? Then he goes and finds out that there's ice cream-flavored, or I'm sorry, strawberry-flavored ice cream. And you're, he's like, oh my gosh, I love this strawberry-flavored ice cream. Then he discovers for breakfast that they make these things called strawberry-flavored Pop-Tarts. Does anyone, anybody like Pop-Tarts here? Yeah, yeah, he's like, oh my gosh, I love these strawberry-flavored Pop-Tarts. On and on, he just absolutely falls in love with strawberries. Now, little secret, I don't know if you guys know this, but I've been friends with a couple chemistry people in college and things like that. Do you know, and I'm sorry if this ruins Pop-Tarts for you, but do you know that those strawberry-flavored Pop-Tarts aren't really real strawberry flavor? 
I'm sorry. And, and those pops or popsicles and, and candy, anything strawberry flavored, it's not real strawberries. It's actually this kind of fake built strawberry flavor. I don't really know how they do it. I have no idea, but th- it's not real strawberries, right? And so this kid still just loves strawberries, eating strawberry candy, strawberry ice cream, strawberry Pop-Tarts. One day he grows up, he gets his driver's license, and guess what he puts in his car? A strawberry-scented air freshener. Yeah, that's how in love with strawberries he still is. Eventually, his father's like, hey, you know, come son, let's, let's go back to that strawberry patch that we went to when we were a kid. Let's reminisce of your childhood days, right? So he's like, sure, let's go to the strawberry patch. And so they're walking through the strawberry patch, and the son starts picking strawberries. He starts eating some of these strawberries, and he's like, Oh, that's gross. That's not the strawberries I remember, right? Eventually, he's eaten so many fake strawberry flavors, this, this manipulated chemistry, whatnot, to create this fake strawberry flavor that he doesn't even like real strawberries anymore. Okay, where am I, where's the pastor going with this? <laughs> Well, here's, here's the thing. Sometimes this happens with our relationship with Jesus Christ, right? We fall in love with Jesus and who Jesus is, and we know the real taste of who Jesus is in our lives. We know he sets us free from anxieties, right? He's a miracle-working God that does amazing things, right? So far, we've been studying in this, in this sermon series that um, he's a miracle-working God, and he's calmed the storm, right? He's done so many things. He raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, right? He's done so many powerful things to reveal to us that he is God. He is the God that produces miracles. Last week, Pastor Matt uh, went over the, taught us uh, the sermon where he uh, did the five loaves and two fish and he fed 15,000 to 20,000 people. That is a massive miracle, Right? And Pastor Matt said, Jesus plus nothing is everything. Jesus plus nothing is everything. So when we start eating these fake strawberry flavors of who Jesus is, maybe you start falling in love with the cushy chairs that you're all sitting on, right? And this becomes your Jesus that you worship. I'm not, I love these cushy chairs, I'll I'll be honest. But I'm not saying that they're bad, but if you start worshiping those things in your relationship with Jesus or coming here and expecting, you know, this band to play miraculously this good every week, right? They're amazing. But if you start worshiping those things, oh boy, you're forgetting the real strawberry flavor of who Jesus Christ is in our life. We have to be careful. You cannot manipulate miraculous power. We just can't do that. We don't have that power to manipulate church and the church experience so that you experience Jesus Christ. It's only through his word that we get to experience who Jesus Christ really is. And we're constantly looking for ways to fix the problems that we have, to fill the void that's in our hearts and in our souls. We're looking for these things all over the place in the world. Maybe it's your bank account. Maybe it's the way you come here um, and expect to be worshiping with your eyes closed to this great music and this great band, right? We gotta be careful of those things. 
It might even be a relationship that you have or a dream job or maybe it's that chill time with Netflix that you get to have alone in your bed, right? Whatever it is. Maybe it's Fox 8 News. I don't know. But here's what I I want all of us to learn this morning, and and me included. I'm learning this. As I was studying, I was like, oh my gosh, I need to know this. It's Jesus Christ who we are looking for. Jesus Christ is who you are looking for. Jesus Christ is who I'm looking for. We ruin our taste of true spiritual food by eating all these manipulative and fake things in in our relationship with God. We ruin it, right? This is who God is, right? He's the God who calmed the storm. He's the God that healed a man from a demon. He's the God who exercised the demon out of this man. He's the God who uh, healed a woman who was bleeding for 12 years just by the touch of his cloak, raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, and finally fed the 5,000 or or the 15 to 20,000 with five loaves and two fish. And today we'll be studying a couple more miracles that Jesus did. Uh, Mark has been progressing in this. This has been our series, The Miracle Working God. We're going to study how he walks on water, while he ceases the, how he ceases the wind, and we're going to study how he uh, can heal many, many sick people. So before we open uh, our Bible to Mark chapter 6, if you have a Bible, you can open there. But we'll be in Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 45. And before we read that, I want to pray. Lord God, thank you so much for all that you do in our lives. Thank you that you are the miracle-working God that gives us hope. Thank you that you reveal to us who you are through your word. We are so excited to experience you and uh, just live with you and be with you on a daily basis. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. May you humble our hearts uh, so we can hear from your word this morning. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So where we've been is Jesus literally just finished feeding thousands of people with five loaves and two fish. And then starting in verse 45, he says, Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side of the Sea of Galilee to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. Right, so Jesus says, disciples, go in that boat. You go. I'm going to stay here with the crowd. He's going to dismiss them. Verse 46, and after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. We got to pause here because this is very important. This brings us to point number one. If you're following along in your bulletin, point number one is this. In critical moments of your life, pray. See, Mark only records three times that Jesus took time to pray during the public or introduction of his public ministry. Um, This is one of them, right? Right before he started his ministry was one of them. Right after this was one of them. And then later on in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he goes to the cross, was the third time that that Mark specifically notes where Jesus is like, I'm going to go over here to pray. Now, Now, Jesus prayed a ton more, right? But... But Mark really felt the need to stop and pause and specifically tell us that in these critical moments, Jesus took time in his ministry to pray. Now, this is a crisis moment, okay? He just fed thousands of people, and I need to explain this crisis and this critical moment in Jesus' life and his ministry. I need to explain this to you because I I read it and I did not understand it. I was like, why is this such a big deal? Well, this is why. You see, the... 
Israelite people, even the, the people in Samaria and up north in Nazareth and the Sea of Galilee, all the Jewish people, they knew that there were tons of prophecies of a Messiah coming to save them. And they assumed that this saving, because of the time that they were in, was from the Roman Empire. Right? The Roman Empire, according to them, felt oppressive. They were forced to pay a bunch of taxes that they didn't want to pay. Their young men were forced to go out and be soldiers all across the Roman Empire to defend their lands. Right? And so all these things, they were like, this is an impressive government that's in control of us. We don't even have control over our own laws. I mean, some, but not you know, the Roman Empire was over that, right? So to them, they're in crisis and Jesus is doing all these miracles in public and all these people are like, oh my gosh, this is our savior. This is our savior. So all these rumblings are realizing he's the savior that's gonna free us from Rome. He's the king that's gonna come start the revolution that this guy named Maccabees tried to start a couple hundred years ago and and he's the one that's really going to set us free. Well, guess what? That's not the king that he's coming to be. He's not coming to be a conquering king in the sense of war. That's what they expected. Right? So what we now know uh, because of scholarly study and things like that, there, there is an understanding that when Jesus Christ fed all these people, these thousands of people, Amongst the crowd, guess what? There was uh, this messianic uprising that was being talked about. They were expecting and almost wanted to help start this revolution by going and conquering Jerusalem from the Romans. Right? So Jesus is picking up on this and he's like, hold on, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a second. Wait a second. And so he says, disciples, I need you to go on that boat. I need you to go. Because they're his right-hand men, right? And he's going to dismiss the crowd to kind of calm this messianic uprising idea. They did not realize, right? The, the people did not realize that Jesus Christ was coming to be a sacrificial king. He was coming to serve. He was coming to produce miracles. He was coming to die on the cross, right? They, were, they had this idea of a Messiah, of what that true strawberry flavor was, but it turns out that was a fake strawberry flavor. They didn't get it. They did not get it. They were seeking this type of revolution when Jesus was coming to have this kind of revolution, which was a revolution of sacrifice and love. Totally different. So after this moment of dismissing the crowd and hopefully trying to calm the messianic uprising that was stirring amongst the thousands of people that were there, he took some time to pray. Because he knew now, now it started. The buzz has begun. They're starting to realize who he is. And I gotta be honest, Jesus is modeling something here from us. We have to take note of this, right? That's why the first point is in critical moments of your life, Pray. We ha- we're, we're being shown what the Christian life looks like by Jesus Christ, the king himself, right? So when people are over here trying to do something crazy in the world because they're doing it in the name of Jesus and we gotta fight for this kingdom, well, look how Jesus fought by getting on his knees and praying. 
This is a big deal. And I gotta say this, uh, we do one-on-one discipleship here at Mission View Church and, and that's been growing and spreading in the past year and it's just gonna keep growing. Um, that, that discipleship stuff, it has a little bit of a curriculum that it's just really a guide. Um, really, discipleship happens life on life, person on person, relationship by relationship. That's how discipleship truly happens. But with the guided curriculum, there's a couple months that you're supposed to spend learning about prayer. You know why? Because prayer is a fundamental aspect of the Christian life. It's absolutely fundamental. And really what that fundamental lesson teaches is that prayer is a way that we communicate with God. Not only do we speak to him, but he also speaks to us. Right? And so we, we say uh, spirit-led, Bible-fed prayer right? is something that I've heard said before. And right, So when, when we take our Bibles, we read it, we read it and we pray through it, he's communicating to us through his word and then we're communicating his word out, right, for his will to, for the kingdom, for the people in our lives, for every little experience that we have. That's, that's the idea of praying without ceasing. We pray through our days, right? And we pray using his word. That's how he speaks to us. So prayer is absolutely fundamental with your um, relationship with Christ. It's actually even an identity marker of a Christian, right? Um, There should be a little bit of concern in your walk with Jesus Christ if you're not praying. You should be slightly concerned. Now, I'm not saying that you're not a Christian just because you're not praying. We all go through seasons. But think about that. If you're not taking time to pray, do you have a relationship? Every single relationship I've had in my entire life, every single one, involved communication. I mean, if you don't communicate, you don't have a relationship, right? There's a little bit of that idea playing here. So if you're not praying, come talk to somebody about it. Share that with someone in your community. Share that with someone in your community group. Share that with your community group leader. Share that with a pastor who's here for you to help you so that he can pray for you or, or a dear friend that you trust. Share that doesn't mean you're not a Christian, but it is a cause for concern. So step into that. Lean into that. We need to be a praying church. If we don't have a relationship with Christ, or if we're not praying, we we might not have a relationship with Christ. There's that aspect. We might not. But here's another really big reason why people struggle or forget to pray, or why prayer in the American church is just so dull. I don't know if you've ever felt that, but you go, you know, it's just dull. Why, why are we not praying? Well, here's why. I think we forget that we're at war. I think we forget that every single day when we wake up in the morning, it's a battlefield, right? It's God versus Satan. There's that real aspect going on here. Now, God obviously wins, and we know that, but that doesn't mean that God is allowing Satan to rule here on earth a little bit, and he's, he's attacking, right? He's trying to get at us. I don't know if you've ever read um, the Screwtape Letters, but it's an imaginative fictional story of how demons tempt and try to take down Christians, especially the ones trying to do the work of the Lord, 
Oh my gosh, prayer is so important because that is our defense against the enemy. John Piper said, until you believe that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. This is big, guys. Mission View Church, we need to be a praying church. Right? Jesus Christ knew that when he was teaching the massive crowd and there was this messianic uprising, man, he knew he needed to get on his knees and commune with his father. He needed to communicate what he was sensing, what he was experiencing. Here's another thing. A lot of times we think prayer needs to be done on our own. It does not. Prayer can be done together. Right? We have prayer meetings that happen every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. over there in the Mission View office suite. People are over there praying. If you are someone who struggles to pray, show up. Be part of other people praying. That's how you learn how to pray. I've had so many people tell me, I just don't know how to pray. Okay, go pray with someone who's already praying. Our community groups, one of the three things that every community group does is they pray together. Just show up and pray with them. That is how you will learn how to pray. Just pray with them. In critical moments of our lives, we need to pray. In a critical moment in Jesus' life, in his public ministry, he took time to pray. Let's keep reading in verse 47. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they, the disciples, were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Point number two is not your strength, but God's strength succeeds. Remember, Jesus is the miracle-working God. He is the all-knowing God that we worship. He knows everything. Right, So he knows that the wind was headed from the northeast across the Sea of Galilee directly into the path of the disciples. Right? And these disciples get in the boat. They're in rowboats, right? Or they're in a rowboat, I should say. And they're rowing right into the wind. Now, um, the Sea of Galilee is only about four miles wide. And they're on the northeast west side of the Sea of Galilee, trying to go to the northeast side. I looked at it on a map, and it's only about a mile and a half. About a mile and a half. It's not far that they're trying to go kind of like this, across the top of the Sea of Galilee. They started at dusk, right? Jesus kind of fed them a supper, dinner, or whatever, with the five loaves and two fish. And then he sent the disciples off while he dismissed the crowd and then went to pray. Now, the text tells us that he came in the fourth watch of the night, that's somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So these disciples are in this boat rowing painfully, it's described, painfully, 
and they're trying to get to Bethsaida, which is just on the northeast side of the sea, and it's only about a mile and a half, but it took them what? What is that, eight hours, seven hours, something like that? Wow. And they were barely very far. They were not very far at all. To go a mile and a half in a rowboat? This had to be some kind of wind, like crazy wind, like strong wind. Let me ask you this. Has God ever asked you to go do something that was difficult? Kind of like this rowing into this really strong wind. Yeah, I saw some head nods. Me too. He's asked me to do something hard. He asked all of us to do a lot of very hard things. Sometimes it's just getting up out of bed in the morning. Sometimes you just have those down days, you're exhausted. It's hard to get up out of bed. Sometimes it might be a difficult conversation, maybe with a neighbor, an employer. It could be that tough conversation, maybe even with your spouse. Like, I gotta say something, it's, it's been bugging me for two years. Right? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's just a difficult moment with a son or a daughter. Man, this is hard. Lean into those moments. Toil, struggle, try. The disciples did. I'm impressed. They tried to get through this wind. Maybe it's just a difficult chore at home or a task that your spouse has been asking you to do for maybe three weeks and you still haven't done it. Maybe it's that. Why? Here's another question. Why does God do this to us? Why does he put us through such pain and toil and hardship? Why? Well, here's my answer, real short, and I know, you know, I don't even really like this answer when I say it out loud. You know why? It's because he loves you. He loves you. He puts you through pain and hardship because he loves you. Now, I'm going to explain this in a moment, but we got to keep reading a little bit to really understand it, okay? Verse 49, I want to reread this. Um, right, so, so Jesus, he meant, he meant to pass by them. As he's walking on the water, he meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. Okay. Why were they terrified? Why were they terrified? This is a, a really big question. Why were they terrified? Well, it's because they've been toiling, they've been struggling, they know Jesus is a miracle working God. They thought that this ghost was coming up at them. But when he says, Take heart, it is I, and at the end of verse 50, do not be afraid. They realized something. And they were astounded. They were astounded. Why? Well, it's because they finally realized who God was. Who Jesus was. That he was God. He used, in the Greek, he used the, the phrase, the I am phrase, which is famous from back um, in uh, when Moses heard God say from the burning bush that I am. I am who I am. It's, it's kind of linked to that phrase, the way Jesus responded to them. 
And for the first time, they realize, well, he is. He is the God that we've been worshiping for centuries. He is the God. So they were terrified because they realized this. They were astounded because they realized this. And finally, when he steps foot into the boat, what happens? Another miracle. He ceases the wind immediately. You see, when we go through hardship and difficulty, Jesus Christ is right there by our side. He sees us in pain. Your comforter is right beside you. He was right there. He was not far at all, probably a quarter mile right off the, off the shore. He didn't let them get very far away from them. Maybe, maybe that's why he had the, had the wind. I don't know. But he was not far, and he came to them. He's right by your side, and when he enters that boat, right, when they realize, oh my gosh, come, it's Jesus, it's not a ghost, come, come, come. When they invite him into that boat, and all the hardship ceases, man, that is mercy. That is the experience that we are hoping for that Jesus will give us. It's just interesting. You see, Jesus is always by our side. And when we invite him into those moments of hardship, maybe through prayer, or maybe it's through uh, asking somebody to give us insight into what we're going through, right? Maybe a, counts, a counselor that you might know. Maybe it's here at Mission View Church asking somebody to help you. Maybe it's your community group leader. Maybe it's a trusted friend. When you invite that person to tell you something about who Jesus is into that painful moment in your life, it's like the burden of those disciples trying to row, row, row endlessly ceases. Those are the moments. Look for those. But you have to invite Jesus into those moments. Otherwise, he's just gonna let you Keep painfully rowing. Push as hard as you can by yourself and your own power and your own strength because you're not going to get very far. you got to invite somebody to disciple you, somebody into your life to speak the truth to you. you got to invite that in. It's not that Jesus has left you. It's that he's right there and he's waiting for you. He's waiting for you to just accept his love. That's what I'm talking about. He loves you enough to want you to want him. That's how much he loves you. You gotta just just seek that. You see, (laughs) I gotta read the end of verse 52. For they did not understand about the loaves. They didn't understand the loaves, but their hearts were hardened, right? So, I don't know, these disciples, I gotta be honest, they are thick-headed. I don't know if you've ever heard that about the disciples, but they are so thick-headed, right? They've seen him do so many miracles, you know, heal the paralytic, you know, exercise demons out of people, heal people from sickness and disease. He's doing so many miracles, and they, they just don't even get it that he's, he's Jesus. Finally, they do here. They finally do, right? That's why Mark wrote this story down. It's so important. This is, this is like a critical moment in his ministry where they finally realize, well, he is God. But guess what? Literally, as we keep reading through Mark, they're gonna forget again. <laughs> they're gonna forget that he is the Messiah. They're gonna forget that he loves them. They're, he, they're literally gonna forget again. They are that thick-headed. They just, they get it, but then they forget. They get it, and they forget But they didn't understand about the loaves, 
that that was a miracle straight from God. They just were like, oh, the great teacher has some power and he's doing things. They didn't, they didn't quite understand it. And, and the reason they didn't is because he hasn't, he hasn't come to, to share that with them about um, how he is the great I am. And he, he said that there and they get it. All right, so it's not by our strength, but God's strength that succeeds. Back to the strawberries. Constantly when we're working super hard and we are trying to manipulate God's power to do what we want him to do, maybe it's in our lives, maybe it's in a ministry, and that right there can be a fake strawberry flavor. It's not real. That's not your relationship with Jesus. It's through prayer, through the ministry of his word. That's a ministry of Jesus. Don't, don't keep pursuing these manipulative ways of doing ministry. Right? Protect your heart from those things. Search out the real strawberry flavor of who Jesus Christ is. Not your strength, but it's God's strength that succeeds. Let's keep reading in verse 53. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret. Finally, they made it and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him. They were rowing all night. Remember, he came to them at like four or five in the morning, somewhere between three and six. So I'm shooting for the middle. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they had heard he was. And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many touched it were made well. The cat is out of the bag. This is Jesus Christ, the miracle-working God Jesus Christ has miraculous power. That's what he has. He has it and he does these miracles and at this point, everybody in the region knows it. They are bringing people to the marketplaces on the side of the streets just to touch his garment, to feel what it's like to experience miracles. That's the real strawberry flavor. Right? That's what we need to be looking for in our lives with Jesus Christ, right? And today, that comes from the ministry of the word, that comes from fellowship, that comes from biblical counseling, that comes from discipleship, that comes from experiencing this church together in unison, loving one another. Right? He puts you through these hard times because he loves you. And he puts these people that you're sitting next to in your lives because he loves you. So you can experience Jesus Christ through them, right? That's why we have the Holy Spirit to empower us for this ministry. I gotta be honest though. Jesus does a ton of miracles and probably the greatest miracle that he has done is he saved me. He saved me from my sin. He saved you from your sin. This is a miracle that is far greater than the two loaves and, or the five loaves and two fish. It's far greater than walking on water. It's far greater than ceasing the wind. The gospel power in our lives is through salvation to give us eternal life forever. 
And how did he do this? He did this by coming, living on our earth in person as a human being, incarnating. He did this through uh, dying on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins, resurrecting from the dead, producing a miracle that has the power to save us. He's the one who satisfied the, the wrath of God upon our sin. He satisfied all of it. And he saved us. That is the miracle in our lives that's the real strawberry flavor that we need to keep pursuing. We need to look to those moments in our life of salvation, of what we remember, so that we can be just healed, renewed. We need to remember those moments in our lives. Jesus Christ is who you're looking for. The gospel power in your life is what you're looking for. The gospel isn't just for people who don't know Jesus. The gospel is something that needs to be remembered for those who know Jesus. Those are the things, the real strawberry flavor that you want to find. And when you find those, they will renew you. They will change you. They will work, work out of your life producing just amazing things for the people around you. Jesus Christ is that real strawberry flavor. Don't forget what he tastes like. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much that we get to experience your word. Thank you for the miraculous thing that you have done in our lives to, um, to save us from sin and death. Thank you for the healing power that you have for all of us at Mission View Church to renew us and change us and making us new, a new creation to experience you for all of eternity. This is our joy. Our joy is to experience your presence. We ask that you do that for us today. And all that we're doing even this afternoon, may we remember to pursue how you taste and what you are like and to cast out anything manipulative or fake in our lives that isn't of you, Lord. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Real quick, I want to give you a little sermon teaser for next week. We're, we're kind of closing a chapter on our Miracle Working God series and our pursuit to get all the way through the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to actually do a fun and exciting kind of summer break series that we're going to start next week. Uh, pastor Andrew, our youth pastor, will be up here again. And he's going to start a sermon series that we're calling The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And no, you don't have to watch that movie uh, in order to prepare for this sermon, but it's a good movie. Um, so The Good, The Bad, The Ugly, it's, we're actually going to do a character study on the Old Testament character of King Saul. Right? So we'll be starting a little study through 1 Samuel. It'll be a three-week series starting next week. All right. With that, let's worship. Please stand.